Would you bow your head and let's pray together. Lord, um, this morning we're here. Uh, I, yeah, I didn't call this meeting. You did. You called it. You have a purpose for it. Lord, before the foundation of the world, you knew precisely what you'd be accomplishing this morning. And so we, we don't walk into an open future. We walk into a perfect plan. And this morning is a part of that. And yet, Lord, it's through our choices that that plan comes to be. And so, Lord, right now, would you, Lord, strengthen and empower me? Would you open up our, all of our ears so that you're, what, you, what you intend to do here this morning, that's what we want to be done. Not what I intend to do, not what any of us intend to do, what you intend to do, Lord. That's what we're here for. That's what it means to say you have a powerful name. Who can, who's your rival? Who stands up to you and says, no, I don't think so. Lord, no, nobody. And don't let that be us today either. Lord, we, we're not here to stand up and be a rival to you. We're here to be your servants, your people, your children who love you and desire you and want you. And I pray that be real clear in all of our time together. Um, Lord, without faith, it's impossible to please you because we have to believe that I'm not talking to the sky right now. And we have to believe that you reward those who diligently seek you. That's what we're here to do this morning. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 You can go ahead and have a seat this morning. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have a question for you before I start the sermon off this morning. Um, if right now I was to snap my finger, I, don't, I can't do this, but let's say that I was going to, I was going to snap my finger and instantaneously we would all be in heaven. What would you see, do you think? Now imagine that you and the person sitting next to you are, are there together. Some of you are sitting as couples or families, you know. Um, do you think that you would look around into heaven and, you know, elbow your spouse? Do you think there'd ever be moments where the two of you would look at each other and say, do you see what I'm seeing right now? Do you think when you get to heaven, you're going to see weird, crazy things that you can only, that you couldn't even imagine? Do you think that? Um, the fact of the matter is the Bible tells us no eye has seen and no ear has heard. We are going to walk around when heaven comes. You and I will be walking around in a reality with our mouths hanging open saying, what in the world is this? And then an angel's going to say, well, it's not in the world. You're in heaven. So snap too, you know. Um, the God who is going to bring you heaven, of which no one's going to be surprised to see things that go, I can't believe that's hard. I can't believe that. The God who will bring us the new heavens and the new earth is the God who brought us the heavens and the earth that we live in now. Um, and in his description of the heavens and earth that he, that he created at the very beginning, it, in the Bible, as we open up, the Bible is going to tell us about many things that are in our world or used to be in our world. That modern man who walks around on the street today and thinks he's quite a big deal is going to kind of go, I can't believe that. But we believe in heaven. One of the great strategies of the enemy in order to suppress God's glory is to try to convince all of us that we live in a world where the window between us and heaven is closed. Um, and that the things, the things in the Bible that seem fantastical, must, the, the writers must have borrowed these from other things. And we all now know, you know, we've all been to seminaries 
And we all know that the, these things that got described in the Bible that are miraculous came from kind of an old mystical world where people believed weird things, but we're modern people. And we, we can just get to the good teachings of, you know, the meat and potatoes teaching of Jesus about how to be a nice person and kind of get along in the world. And I want you to know the Bible, when you, when you listen to the Bible the way that it was written, it will not let us do that. That means I'm going to get up here, and as we kick off the Genesis series, we're going to start this morning. I'm anticipating that, you know, a handful of sprinkling might hear something in the Bible, and in the back of your mind, you're going to say, is that, is that really in there? Um, but Reuben said it earlier. You know, when we come together in God's house, what's God's house called? Heaven? When we get together in God's house and we think about and consider the glory of God, the wonder of his works, the things that he has made. Is there anything that's too difficult or magnificent for him? Is there anything? No. And so as we, you know, as we get ready to kick off this series in Genesis, what, um, what my hope is, is that our, our vision of the glory and the grandeur of God just grows exponentially, that we'll be astounded at him. Uh, and secondly, that in some ways, by looking at the first, you know, the opening chapters of the Bible and looking at the way that God created the first heavens and the first earth will whet your appetite. We'll, we'll be in heaven soon, you know. Some of us will get a couple of decades. Some of us will get a decade of decades. But um, in, you know, in heavenly history is 100 years a long time. I mean, if you live in 100 years, you know, in our time, we go, wow, that's a good, that's a long life. And in the Bible, the Bible says 100 years is like a... We'll be in heaven soon, and the creator of the new heavens and the new earth is the creator of the first heavens and the first earth. And what I want to do is we open up these, the first chapter of Genesis today as we kick off this series. Um, I, I want you to hear these words, not as an ancient myth... Not as Moses accumulating lots of traditional stories from the cultures all around him and using those untrue stories to try to communicate the true story. What I want you and I to hear when we open up this, that this is the word of God. And we uh, typically we stand for the reading of God's word. And one of the reasons we do, we stand because we believe that when God says it, this is God's word and it is to be responded to with faith and belief. So I'm going to ask that you would stand to your feet, and um, I'm going to give you two options here, okay? Now, oftentimes, I ask you to kind of open up your Bible, and while I'm reading it, you're reading along, you know, kind of follow along the words. Um, but if, if you'll indulge me this morning, one of the things I'd love for you to do is, would you let me read Genesis chapter 1 to you? And would you maybe even close your eyes or kind of find a spot up on the wood or in the room to kind of let your, and I want in your own mind, you know, I want you to hear God tell you what he did when he founded the very beginning of the world. Um, this is the word of God. I'm starting at Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. 
And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So... God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, 
I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Heavenly Father, teach us everything that you intend to teach us. Lord, help me draw out the truth of this text. God, open up our ears, the ones that we need to hear you. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You can have a seat. Okay, now I know. There's a few things I know that I just want to kind of lay as the groundwork before we launch off on this series. And I know these things because God tells them, uh, us in his word. We started off one of those. Um, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And not pleasing God is a terrible thing to do. So in order for us to please God, there's something that's required. We cannot, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that not only is, it, is faith required in order to please God, but faith is the thing that we have to use in order to believe the things that God said. Hebrews chapter 11 says it's by faith that we understand that everything that we see that was made was made by God and it was made out of nothing. So there's a muscle that you and I need to believe to answer the question, where did everything come from? What, does the, what did God tell us? How can we believe in God and believe that it is God who made everything? And the Bible tells us you cannot reason your way to this argument. That's one of the reasons why the rest of this presentation, I'm not going to put up slides that look real science-y because I'm not a scientist, um, but I don't have to be. Because we're not here to sort of dissect and come up with our own rationale for how things came to be. We're here to hear how everything came to be and why from the one person who would know about that, which is the creator of it all. But we are in such a dependent position because unless we have a specific thing, unless we have faith, we will be unable to believe that. And now, I mean, I just, I want to push this one thing further because the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, it's like, okay, Pastor Seth, if what you're telling me is to answer the questions about why everything came to be and how, to be able to hear what the Bible says and to be able to understand it and believe that it's true, I have to have faith. Tell me, where can I get faith? And the ushers are going to be going up and down the aisles and they'll issue you a dose of faith. <laughs> no, here's the thing. I can't give it to you. Apostle Paul makes it real plain and clear. It's by grace that you have been saved through faith and this, the whole thing, the grace and the savings and the faith are not from you so that nobody can boast. They are a gift of God, which means we are in such a vulnerable position the very thing that we have got to have in order to hear the word of the Bible and say, that's true. True enough to bet my life on it. In order to be able to do that, I have to have received a gift that comes from God, which is called faith. Okay, so can everybody feel the weight of this challenge? That means I'm going to stand up here for 30 minutes and I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. 
knowing that the only way that any of you that are sitting in here are going to look at me and say, yeah, yeah, that's true, is if God has given you the gift of faith to believe it. Now, that means in a room our size, there could be many people in here who do not have that gift of faith. So what are you all supposed to do while I'm telling you this is what God said about it in Genesis? What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to listen to it. You want to know why? Because the Bible also tells us how does God choose to give the gift of faith? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So wait, are you telling me, Pastor Seth, are you telling me that Faith comes as a gift, and God's means for giving that gift of faith in order to believe the Bible happens as you listen to the Bible. Yes, that is precisely not what I'm saying. I mean, I'm saying it. I'm voicing this microphone. I'm not telling you what I think or my opinions about that. What I'm telling you is this is the Bible's teaching. That means that I want to accomplish just a handful of things. Right today and during this whole series, I have a few aims. One of those aims is if you have received the gift of saving faith, and along with that faith has come the beginning and growing ability to believe what God said, I want to feed that faith with a a bunch of raw, natural, non-GMO, organic, cage-free, tasty truth. Lots of words from God that it's going to become real clear. Um... The difference between walking out saying, I believe that what God said in Genesis is true, and walking out saying, I'm not so sure if what it says in Genesis is is true, those are two completely different ways of living life. One is blessed, a gift, full of grace, and full of faith, right? So that's one of my aims is to help those of us who have saving faith move from faith to more faith to more faith to more faith. You ever meet somebody like that? Somebody who's like, oh, yeah, well, God said it. Of course I believe it. Are you, you're doubting right now? What a fool you are. What are you, what are you doubting God for? Do you, did any of you have a friend like that or met somebody like that? And then you left and you're like, yeah, boy, his faith is here and my faith is here, you know? Um, okay, so one of my aims is to help us move from faith to faith to really, truly, absolutely in the difficult times and in the most challenging places to stand on one rock, which is I believe what God said. That's one thing. That's one aim. But I I really do hope deep down. I really do. My hope is that there's many people that are come along this, this fun ride through the book of Genesis over these next few weeks. And what happens is you start it, you got on the train, and you didn't believe. But God in his, in his kind mercy that while you're hearing the word of God, God is doing something deeper in you that I couldn't do. I can't convince you of it. Only God could do it, which is to give you the gift of faith. And you find when you come to the other side of this series, you go, I went to that church for two months and I walked into that church and I did not believe what they were saying. And as I listened, the funny thing is I started to believe it. And that what happens to you is you come to true saving faith. That's a real deep desire of me and all of our leaders. That's, that's absolutely one of our aims. Um, absolutely. And a third one. Um, <clears throat> to do it in a way that's real humble. Because I don't I mean, I don't know about you, 
Don't sometimes you hear, you hear somebody talking about something that's an unbeliever and they're talking with absolute certainty about these things that are true, you know? Yes, a man can become a woman and we have the technology to do that. And I get mad about that. I don't know about you. I get mad about that. And then sometimes I want to go, how do these people not believe what's in here right now? What's wrong with them, you know? And then I remember, well, by grace you have been saved through faith and it's not... The difference between the person in here who believes and the person who does not believe is not from you. You didn't do it. Therefore, you can't boast about it, nor can you look down your nose at those who don't believe it because it's a gift. And the Apostle Paul tells us that's exactly the way God designed it to be a gift for the very purpose that no one can boast. That everybody could stand in front of Christ and say, What do I have that I have done myself? I don't have anything. Everything that's happened in my life has been from you. There is a kind of confidence that comes with that kind of humility and no boasting that is the sweet stuff of the Christian life, and that's where I hope to lead us today. Um, Okay, all that being said, are you ready to go? Like, it's 9.50. What are you talking about, Pastor Seth? Okay, listen, this is, these are some of the most famous words of the Bible. I don't need to go through a ton of this, right? I mean, it, it's all fairly straightforward. A summary of the story. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Earth was form and void, but it wasn't going to be form and void for very long. One of the very, God had ordained that the heavens and the earth, the heavens are above the earth. The heavens are above the earth in, in every way. And I don't know about you, but I wish that there was a Genesis chapter point one before Genesis chapter one, because what I want to hear about is I want to hear the creation story of heaven. Pe- people in the Bible looked into heaven and saw all kinds of heavenly beings and creatures. Aren't you, I mean, haven't you seen, I mean, you've seen, a, have you seen a peacock before? Isn't a peacock a pretty amazing creature? Pull all those feathers out, aren't you? Like, wow, that is really something. Aren't you, aren't you wondering, what is the heavenly version of the peacock? Can you imagine what that, the heaven peacock is like? Um, maybe it's just, sorry, maybe it's just me. But Genesis is not a story about what it's like in the heavens yet. Because Genesis is not necessarily concerned right away with heaven. The thing that we need to know from heaven is that it's above the earth. And we know that the Spirit of God, the Spirit that's hovering over the face of the waters, He knows what heaven's like. And it's through His his hovering and it's through His ministry that God is heavenizing the world. See, this whole idea when Jesus said, you should pray on earth as it is in heaven, that is not a new invention or a new idea of Jesus's. This has been the plan from the very beginning for God to create the heavens and the earth, for the earth to be formless and void, and then for God not to leave it formless and void very long. Because heaven is not formless and void. Heaven is structured. Heaven is glorious. Heaven is wonderful. Heaven is beautiful. And the whole intention from the very beginning is that the earth would become the same way. And if I needed, I mean, I could, I don't have to prove it to you. All you have to do is turn, turn to the end. Turn to the very end of the book, the very end of the chapter. And what do we find? The earth has been completely heavenized and it is ruled by a king. And that king's name is Jesus Christ. And that king, Jesus Christ, is from heaven and a human being. 
And the Bible tells us from the very beginning, the reason why God created the world formless and void and then started heavenizing it is because he intended to live here. This is his house. From the very beginning, everything that is made is made for him to rule and reign over, and that is the whole story of the Bible. It doesn't matter if the James Webb Telescope tells us that the earth is not at the physical center of the universe. Who cares about that? We do know that it's at the center of the universe in God's eyes, because does God have another son? God has one and only Son, His only begotten Son, and that only begotten Son is Jesus Christ. And He came in flesh in one planet, and that is ours, and He is going to rule and reign everything over all of the heavens and over all of the material creation. He's going to rule all of, over all of that from one place, the new Jerusalem, which is right here on our planet. And right from the very beginning, we see God creating. We see God the Father. We see God the Spirit hovering over the waters, and do we see God the Son anywhere in this first chapter? Right? What John tells us in John chapter 1 verse 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Every time that God speaks in His Word, this is, this is the person of Jesus Christ right here in Genesis chapter 1, Father, Son, and Spirit, intending to make a home for themselves here. So, I mean, just like you and I, if you're going to start a construction project and start building something and working on something, what's the first thing you need to do? Turn the lights on. So God turns the lights on, and then he starts making a three-story house. One of the stories of the house is up in the heaven. Genesis tells us that what we call the sky, we call it the sky, but who cares what we call it? Because what does God call that thing that's above us? What does God call it? It's in uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 8. If you have your Bible, let's put your finger on there. Genesis chapter 1, 8. <clears throat> Sorry, I'll start at 6. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. God put a copy of the heavenly realm that we can't see, he put a copy of it into our world so that we could look up and see it. Here's, okay, here's the difference, a person who opens up the Bible and says, I believe the Bible, and a person who doesn't believe the Bible. When your five-year-old comes up to you and says, Dad, why is the sky blue? What's your answer? There's three answers, which is, I don't know, ask your teacher. That's what they're here for, right? That's one answer. Uh, the other answer is how, oh, you know, hydrogen and it, it, some kind of chemically sounding answer, right? Okay. What's the Bible's answer for why the sky is blue? Um, okay. Is everybody ready for one of these places where you go, did Pastor Seth really say that? Because maybe this church is getting weird. Everybody ready for a moment like that? Okay. Just listen to this. This is in Exodus chapter 24, verse 9. Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone. What color is sapphire, everybody? Blue. Like the very heaven for clearness. 
And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. And the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tables of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua. Moses went up into the mountain of God and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud... Have you heard that before? And the cloud covered the mountain. What's that cloud? It's the Holy Spirit. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. What does the Bible tell us about why the sky is blue? Why did God make the sky to appear blue to us human beings who stand here? Why did he do that? Because he was telling us something. Something about the invisible world of heaven. In heaven, there is a sea, an ocean. Revelation tells us it's a crystal sea. It's a crystal blue sea. And God wanted us to look up into the sky and to think about that, to know that that's what it's like up there. He wanted us to look up into the sky, and he wanted us, when we looked up there, to think heaven. How many times in the Bible does God take someone out and say, look up into the night sky, and then start talking to them about heaven? Okay, now... um, A few things of special consideration, and then uh, we're going to wrap up. Um, The part that I just read said that God, when he began separating things, he separated the waters below from the waters above. Um, Now, the most obvious thing for us to think about is to think about, well, we got the oceans below and the clouds above. And that, that would make sense, and that would be very plausible for us. But the problem is the words of this chapter don't let us think that. Three different words that could have been used uh, to communicate about these waters that were above. The Bible, the Bible could have said it was the waters that were in the heavens. Um, and that would have been real clear. Clouds move along there. The, the Bible could have also used the same words that it used for the birds. The birds fly across the heavens. Could have used that word. But that's not the word that gets used. The word that the Bible uses is that the waters are above and beyond the heavens. Which means these waters are outside of our, what we would consider the sky or the heavens. And what Genesis is telling us, and remember the rest of the Bible, in Peter it tells us that the world that God originally created perished in the flood in many ways. There are many ways where this opening chapter describes a world that we don't see anymore. But there was waters below in the ocean and above the entire planet, there was a circle of water that was above that planet, that was above our planet, which meant that when Adam looked up into the sky, there was a layer of water which would have blocked both the stars and the sun and the moon. This is why the Bible tells us that the sun and the moon were primarily lights to him. So we look up and we can see the disk of the sun and the disk of the moon because that water layer is gone for us, but it was not for him. He looked up into the, into the sky and the sun and the moon appeared as lights, a greater one and a lesser one, but through that film of water. And the reason why this is critical and important, when we get to know a story of the flood, water not only comes up from the earth, but it also comes from where? The heavens. Um, I mean, now can't you see why the Bible tells us that faith is a necessary component to reading the Bible and believing that we live in the world that God says we live in? Um, 
Okay, is everybody ready for one more of these? Um, this is when everyone's like, you have the microphone, it doesn't matter if we are or not, we know you're going to do it by now. Okay, everybody turn to verse 20. God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth and across the expanse of the heaven. So God created the great sea creatures. That word for creatures um, is the same word that the Bible uses in an ongoing way for the different sizes and moral capacities of serpents. God created the great sea serpents, the great sea reptiles. Now, in the book of Genesis, God is creating lots of things, and there's two Hebrew words that Genesis uses for creating. Uh, one of those words is God's special creations. It's when he goes to create something that is especially wonderful in some kind of a way. Uses it three times. Uses it the first time for the heavens and the earth. Makes sense that now, I mean, when we look into the heavens, we sit there looking at the pillars of creation from the James Webb telescope. And aren't you filled with wonder that he made that? So, I mean, the heavens and the earth, a wondrous creation. There's another wondrous creation here, which is man. Man is a wondrous creation. You put one, you, you look at the functioning of one eye and the delicacy, the technology that's in the human eye. It's one of the reasons why to, to believe in the myth of the evolutionary process is to believe in a million more miracles than the Bible. It takes way more faith to believe that out of, out of nothing, something came and not just something new, you know? You're a wonder. You know you are. But the third time that the Bible uses a wonder for creation, it's about these great sea serpents. And God gives them names later in the Bible. In the, in the book of Job, there's a time when Job, a man who has some, he, he, he runs into some tough times in his life according to God's plan. And at one point, he starts talking to God about how God is getting everything wrong in his life. Anybody ever had a moment like this? God, you're doing it wrong. And God listens for quite a while because Job went through some things that were terrible. I mean, terrible things that it makes sense. And people go, what's going on in my life? But it comes to the point where God says, oh, really? Okay. Oh, wise one, since you know how to run the entire universe, let's just kind of run through some exercises here. And he starts asking him some questions. Where were you again? Remember when I turned the lights on? Remember at the very beginning of creation, where were you again? And can you tell me how many gallons are in the ocean again? Since you're so smart, you know, you can fill me in on some things. One of the things that he does is he takes them outside. Job, let's look at two things, two things that I made. Two things that are wondrous creations. These would be the great sea serpents. I'm in Job chapter 40. Now, if you have a Bible with comments, there's two things. A, a lot of commentators who have a hard time with the wonder-filled world of the Bible will try to find things that can make some of these sections believable. Hey, this is a crocodile or a hippopotamus. There's some commentators who would tell you that these next verses are talking about a hippopotamus. Here's chapter 40, verse 6. You just think to yourself, does this sound like hippopotamus to you? Chapter 40, verse 6. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? 
Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud in a basin. Look on everyone who is proud and bring them low. Tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I acknowledge you that your right hand can save you. Now here we go. Behold behemoth, which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Okay, hippopotamus, so far we're okay. Behold his strength in his loins, his power in the muscles of his belly. You know, hippopotamus's belly, okay. He, he makes his tail stiff like a cedar. Well, there goes the hippopotamus, right? Hippopotamus have a tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are like tubes of bronze. His limbs like bars of iron. He is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. Okay, you're going to need a weapon if you're going to go against this thing. For the mountains yield food for him where all the wild beasts play. Okay, so he can eat on the, eat in the mountains. Under the lotus plants he lies in the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh. For his shade the lotus trees cover him, the willows of the brook surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he's not frightened, which means he's big. He is confident, though Jordan rushes against his mouth. Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? Like, could you trap him? And the answer to that question, if this is a hippopotamus, is yes, of course. But this is not a hippopotamus. This is most likely a dinosaur like Brontosaurus, a a vegetarian eating one. And the reason we know this is because let's listen to the other creature, one of these great creatures that God named, that he's pointing Job. Look at this. All right. Let's meet another one. Can you draw Leviathan with a fish hook? Press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Basically, God's asking him, can you catch that thing? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird, or will you put him on a leash for your girls? Isn't God gets sarcastic in the Bible. It's so funny to me. Will you put him on a leash and let your girls play with him? Will traders bargain over him? Now, if this is a crocodile, of course. We've all... Everybody seen a crocodile belt, crocodile shoes, purses? Will they divide him among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who is first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not keep silence concerning his limbs or his mighty strength or his goodly frame. Who can strip off his outer garment? Who would come near him with a bridle? Who can open the doors of his faith? Around his teeth is terror. His back is made of rows of shields. Shut up closely as with a seal. One is so near to the other that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. Terrified? Okay, okay, let's keep going. 
His sneezings flash forth light. His eyes are like the eyelids of the dawn. Out of his mouth go flaming torches. Sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils come forth smoke as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. (coughs) Excuse me. His breast kindles coals and a flame comes forth from his mouth. Okay, let me ask you a question. What do you call a big serpent kind of thing that has huge teeth that's of the size that no one can trap and catch it and can breathe fire? What do you call that? Okay. um, Remember I said the whole thing about faith? Remember that? I mean, think of how many people said, I can't believe in the story of creation because look, we found dinosaur bones. And I want to tell you that God accounts for all of that stuff right here in his word. Um, now, how do we know? How do we know? Um, we know that Moses wrote the book of Genesis. That's true. And, and there's ten different sections in the book of Genesis that say these are the generations. But the very first one... Um, the very first one is in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. And I want to, I'm going to close with this. If you have your Bible, turn over there. Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. And then we're going to wrap up. I know this is a little longer, but it's an introduction to a complex book. So, chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. Now, there's nine other places in the book of Genesis that are going to say, now, these are the generations of and it's, you know, it's going to go on with his descendants, Abraham and Isaac. And, but this is the only time that it says, now this is the book of the generations of Adam. And here's what the Bible is telling us. That even though Moses, the Bible tells us that Moses wrote the book of Genesis, even though Moses is the author of Genesis, Moses did not start from scratch. Moses had a book. And the very first person to write in this book is the human being, Adam. Adam told us who he was, how long he lived, who his children were. And, his genes- and he handed that book off to his son. That book went to Noah. Noah listed his sons. That book went to Abraham. That book went to Isaac. That book went to Jacob. The book went to Joseph. Well, where did Joseph go? Joseph went to Egypt. Now, Joseph was the prince of Egypt, which means that if he had a book of genealogy of this person's name and this person's name and this person's name and this person's name as the highest ranking official in the nation of Israel, that book would have been kept very good care of, and it would have been totally there and protected for us by one person, which is God. And who would be raised up by the daughter of Pharaoh, who would have access to the library where this book of all the generations of all these Hebrew people were, starting from Adam? Who, who would have been there? Who got raised up as her son? Moses, the one who wrote the first five books of the Bible. Which means when you and I open up the book of Genesis, written words by the very first human being on our planet are right here in your hands right here in your hands. And the book doesn't just, the Bible doesn't just start with a book like that. Um, The very last thing that will happen before the eternal kingdom of heaven, 
this is going to be a great day of judgment. The great day of judgment, Jesus Christ, the King, is going to sit and he's going to, he's going to judge over everybody. And every person is going to come in front of him, including you, including me. When I come before him, a question is going to go out. What's your name? Seth McCoy, son of Charles W. McCoy Jr., you know. The question's going to go up. Is his name in the book? The Bible tells us that the books will be opened. And the book that will be opened will be the record of every person who has come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. There is a book of the generations of Jesus Christ. All the people who have been born again. The Bible calls it the Lamb's Book of Life. And I tell you, the most important thing for you to walk out of here today is like, not, you know, not the thing about the dinosaurs and the most important thing for you to think about when you walk out of here is is your name in that book has saving faith come into your life you know you you were made in God's image from the very beginning God said I intend to live with you to dwell with you to love you to be with you heaven to earth and the future of the story is heaven to earth and heaven on forever. But the only people who go into that heaven forever are people whose names are recorded specifically in that book. And there's only one way that your name gets in that book. Because it's the Lamb's book. And the only names that get into the Lamb's book are the people who see that Jesus is the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. His life substituted for yours. We're going to meet him next, next week. We're going to find out about Adam and just how well he did at having dominion. But most of us know the story. He fell. He sinned. And by him, sin entered into the world. And with sin, death. Another reason why for me it the theory of evolution doesn't work because evolution requires eons of death. And the Bible tells us that it's through one man's sin. Death was not in the world before that sin. But our relationship to Adam does not have to be the thing that defines us. Our relationship to the lamb. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that you and I could come to know and love and be with God in heaven forever. Certainly, I'm going to challenge you to ask some questions about what you believe about Genesis. That is true. But not lost in any of this is the whole book of Genesis is starting a story. It's a beginning. It's a beginning of the story that from the very beginning is all about one thing. How God intended to give a great gift to his wonderful son. And that gift is all of heaven and all of earth and all the people who ever come into Christianity. That is a great gift that God has given to his son. Are you part of that gift? Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? Have you come to terms with God that you were created, that you have fallen in sin, and that Christ is up there on the cross suffering for you? If you have you come into eternal life. And if you haven't, there's nothing in your life that's more important than answering the question, is my name in that book? Would you stand to your feet? Let me close in a prayer.
Heavenly Father, my prayer as we wrap up today, Lord, I'm hoping that maybe some things that I said sparked a level of interest in your word and that what happens is we all get hungry to go, what's in here? There's more in here than any of us have gotten out. We always have more to get here. Uh, And Lord, I pray for those who are listening to your word and wondering about faith. Pray for those who heard me today and what it means to be in the Lamb's book of life. I know I can't convince or persuade anybody into it. Only your spirit draws. And I pray that you would do that and do it through your word. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.